I love it when listeners attack me for being too liberal. I think that it's pretty clear that I'm a pretty conservative-minded person, yet every so often I may make a comment and you guys will pounce on me, and I love it. So just for the record, I think that a 70% tax rate is outrageous. I never meant to defend it, never meant to support such a radical, borderline socialist policies. Let's just get that very clear. All right, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, she's upset at CBS, the television network, because they've announced their roster for the 2020 election for their coverage, and it does not include a single black reporter on their roster for the 2020 election. And Ocasio-Cortez made a big issue out of this a few days ago. Now Maxine Waters. And this is so insulting to black people. Of all people, the people they're trying to defend are the ones that it insults more than anyone. Maxine Waters is in discussions with CBS. She wants them to hire black people, make them part of the roster. And here's, imagine being the black reporter that's chosen to be part of CBS's 2020 election coverage. You've been chosen clearly because of your race. There's no other reason. Oh, you don't have any blacks. All right, let's grab this black person. Oh, well, they really earned it. They really qualify for it. That's why they were chosen, right? I mean, that's the problem with quotas in the first place. And you know how 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 much can you destroy their ego? And and you're really the racist. And here's why: CBS has plenty of minorities as part of their 2020 election coverage. There are Hispanics, there are Asians, so there are women. So it's not a lack of minorities. It's just they happen to not pick any blacks. Well, that offends Maxine Waters, you know. So well, now we're gonna go and and institute a quota, and we're gonna have to have a certain amount of blacks. And what I really love is when CBS and the mainstream media are attacked for being politically incorrect. You know, they're the ones who have given all this support to this nonsense, to P, to the PC movement, and now they are victimized by that exact same ridiculous philosophy. You know, and and by the way, CBS has plenty of black people obviously working for them. They're a huge network. So this is just one division. This is about the 2020 election. It's not like they have any fewer blacks working for them than anybody else. You know, I would bet this is much more about politics than about race. And Maxine Waters, she wants to have black coverage. She wants to have the, the, the perspective of a black reporter because she thinks that'll be beneficial to black candidates or to the Democrat Party in general. So this is her own agenda. Meanwhile, you had a CNN analyst. Her name is Areva Martin. This is unbelievable. She was being interviewed by a conservative talk show host, a black conservative talk show host. His name is David Webb. And they were discussing race and they were discussing inequality in the workplace. So she says to him, she says, well, you know, he says, listen, I never viewed race as having anything to do with who I am. I do my job. If I do a good job, I get hired. If not, then I don't. What's got to do with race? And she says, well, you're benefiting from white privilege. You don't even realize it, but you're benefiting from white privilege. And he says, what are you talking about? She says, well, you're a white man. So of course you're hired. And he says, excuse me, I'm black. And I, I guess nobody told you she, she was totally flabbergasted and, and embarrassed. And she was, she was apologetic. Give her credit for that. But she thought that this guy was white, accusing him of white privilege. And he basically attacked her and he came down on her. And he said, unbelievable how you just assume not just that I'm white, but if I'm successful, you just assume that it must be white privilege. He said, how insulting is that to me? And how insulting is that to black people? Oh, you're a successful talk show host. 
you're obviously white and you were hired because you were white and she completely discounts any possibility that maybe he's good at what he does regardless of race. Maybe people just want to hire somebody who's actually got talent, who actually can be successful, you know, and this is the mindset. They are the racist. We're not the racist. All right. Nancy Pelosi has written a letter to President Trump saying, suggesting that he not hold the State of the Union while the government is shut down. By the way, Rand Paul responded. Rand Paul says, no problem. You don't want to do it in the House. Let's do it in the Senate. And we have to see now how Trump responds. Officially, this is a suggestion, but some are saying Pelosi is going to rescind. Technically, this is just all a bunch of Washington, D.C. protocol. Uh, the, it, the House invites President Trump to give the State of the Union. He gives it in front of Congress, of course. So technically, she has control over the venue, but she's not officially rescinding the invite yet. She's just suggesting. Now, this has nothing to do with the shutdown. They're using the shutdown as an excuse. Nancy Pelosi would love to disinvite President Trump to anything involving Congress or anything that would help him in any way, including the State of the Union. You know, she'd love to do this anytime. She's just gotten power. This was her first chance. So now they're not going to just outright do it because that would be a breach of protocol and she'd be attacked. So instead, let's use the shutdown as an excuse. Now, the shutdown, what's, what's President Trump? Is he not riding in the presidential limo because of the shutdown? Is he like not sleeping in the White House to go to a hotel because the government is shut down? The government is still operating, Congress, the White House. There's no reason not to have the State of the Union, but she wants to give him a slap in the face. That's exactly what this is about. She wants to one-up President Trump and using this as a pretext. All right. Bombshell testimony has come out, being totally ignored by the mainstream media as usual. And this actually happened last year. But it just has come. It happened a few months ago in Congress, but it's only been released now. This is Bruce Orr. Bruce Orr, who was the number four man at the DOJ and whose wife, Nellie Orr, uh, conveniently worked for Fusion GPS, the uh, Democrat uh, opposition research team or the, the whatever, the, the people who did the research that, that, that I know hired Christopher Steele to do research, uh, bogus research, of course, uh, uh, on President Trump and his ties to Russia. They're the ones who hired the the Steele to write the dossier. So Bruce Orr spoke to Congress several months ago, and it has come out some astonishing revelations. Orr met Christopher Steele in July of 2016. Again, this is during the heated election race uh, between Hillary and, and Trump. And he knew at that point that Steele was hired by the Hillary team, by the Hillary campaign, to do opposition research on President Trump. So then the Steele dossier comes out, and Bruce Orr is fully aware that it contains biases and potentially fabricated information because, number one, Christopher Steele hates President Trump, and number two, Christopher Steele is being paid by the Democrats to come up with dirt on President Trump. So Bruce Orr then warned numerous, multiple FBI and DOJ officials. This is an absolute bombshell. Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, and Lisa Page were all warned by Bruce Orr. He testified this under oath to Congress. They were all warned that the Steele dossier uh, was written as opposition, opposition research and was funded by the Hillary campaign. They were all aware of this. And you know that James Comey must have been as well because if McCabe, his number two guy, knew, they all knew. He also informed Andrew Weissman. Now, you may have heard of Andrew Weissman. Andrew Weissman later became Bob Mueller's deputy. He's his right-hand man. He's his pit bull. 
And he was aware that the Steele dossier was uh, funded by the Hillary campaign. So they knew this, yet they applied four times for a FISA warrant to spy on the Trump campaign on Carter Page. Their main piece of evidence was the Steele dossier. And uh, James Comey, Rod Rosenstein, they all signed on the FISA warrant uh, on the application. Now, do we know for sure that Rosenstein knew about the Steele dossier? I think it's very likely, but we know about all these other people, and, and including James Comey. So they treated this thing as evidence. In fact, we still don't know on what basis they opened the investigation against President Trump in the first place. I'm talking about during the campaign when they were investigating Trump for collusion with Russia. We don't know what that was based on, but it's more than likely it was based on the Steele dossier. And yet they knew that it was actually uh, just a piece of uh, opposition research funded by the Hillary campaign. They all knew about this. We now have confirmation. So where is there a special counsel to investigate this kind of bias and corruption? We've seen the same pattern here again and again. I would call it borderline treason. And I do not use that word lightly here by the FBI that they launched this entire investigation. It has been years now going on. It has completely tried to sabotage the Trump presidency. And it's only because of Trump's incredible success that he's been able to overcome this and not been brought down by it. And very likely, this all came from the Steele dossier. And we now know that know that they knew that it was basically a phony document. You know, where's Rod Rosenstein on this? By the way, Andrew McCabe, he's been recommended for indictment on a separate issue, lying to FBI officials regarding the Hillary campaign. Where's the indictment? It's been months already. Where is it? You know, it's unbelievable how everybody on the left, the corrupt FBI and DOJ officials, they get away with anything. And yet look what's happening to Trump. And look at all these people who have been indicted and convicted here, including Michael Flynn and, and, and others. Anyone associated with President Trump is going down. But anybody associated with Hillary and the left, they are totally Teflon. They, 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 they're invulnerable. Meanwhile, you know, where is William Barr going to investigate this as AG? You know, I, is he going to be another Rod Rosenstein and just try to protect the DOJ and the FBI? Uh, and senators need to ask him this point blank. What will you do? about all this corruption at the FBI. And he's got to answer that question. By the way, let's just assume for a moment that President Trump did collude with Russia. Let's assume that they're right, whoever the they is, the media and all this made-up stuff about Trump colluding. And let's say he even he meddled in the election uh, with Russia's help so that he could win. You know, let's say he does Vladimir Putin's bidding. Has he actually done anything the last two years as president? Has Trump done anything? anything whatsoever that would favor Russia to the point where, you know, we actually think he's in Putin's pocket and it actually matters. And look, I, I know I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I know that some people will be outraged by this. But my question is this. What's the harm if he, in fact, did Russia collusion? And I'm not saying you shouldn't prosecute him. Maybe it's a crime if he did. He didn't do this. <laughs> There's no evidence. I'm just thinking this through for a minute it's called the thought experiment, where it's like, What's the worry? The worry is that he's basically going to be working as a foreign agent for Putin. Well, if anything, he's actually given Putin a very tough time with Ukraine and with a lot of other issues with Syria. And in no way have we ever seen him show favoritism toward Russia over any other country. Nothing. nothing. This has not affected his presidency in any way. So it's like even if they're right, you know, Russia collusion, obstruction, all these things, he's still been an incredible president. I understand he's not good for the liberals, the Democrats, because they don't like his agenda, but he's been extremely successful in so many ways. I don't know if I mind so much if he colluded with Russia. All right, 
On a more serious note, ISIS has taken credit. There was a horrific attack. I think 15 or 16 people were killed, I believe, in a restaurant in Syria. And this was an attack targeting coalition forces. And four U.S. soldiers were actually killed in Syria here in this attack that ISIS has taken credit for. This is a horrific unspeakable tragedy. Now, there are political repercussions to this as far as the Trump-Syria pullout. You can make arguments in various directions based on this. I don't want to go there today. I don't want to politicize this right now. I just wanted to mention, and our heart, of course, goes out to the families of these victims of this horrific, horrific tragedy, of this horrific attack. Um, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has announced that he is not going to allow government employees to use Airbnb. He So essentially, he's boycotting. The state of Florida is boycotting Airbnb and good for Ron DeSantis. He's doing this in response to the fact that Airbnb refuses to list uh, apartments and list, list rentals uh, in the Israeli settlements because they feel that the Israelis are occupying Palestinian territory, right, that they have no right to. So Ron DeSantis, governor, newly elected governor of Florida, says he's not going to spend state money on Airbnb. So he says state officials and government state of Florida contractors who use state money if they have to stay in places, if they have to travel, he says they cannot use state money uh, for Airbnb. They simply cannot use Airbnb as their rental service because he refuses to support them with the uh, with with the funding from the state of Florida in response to this horrific policy, this anti-Semitic policy of Airbnb, there are many. We listed for them for you. There are many other uh, areas that are disputed territory around the world where Airbnb has no problem listing their rentals, but somehow Israel—they're the only ones with a problem. It's like a mini UN situation. All right, Mayor Bill De Blasio of New York was interviewed on a television show. It's called The View. And interestingly, you know, we've discussed this issue with the traffic in New York. One of the ultra-liberal hosts of The View actually attacked Bill de Blasio for his policies. This is really interesting, a very high-profile host of The View. And, you know, de Blasio was there and he was boasting about the low traffic death rate in New York the last year, which we told you about. And he was attacked based on... Uh, all the harm that he's done in terms of traffic in New York. So I'll just read you some clips over here. Here's the host, quote, I don't think you understand the impact of taking something like a, a 10th Avenue, which is six lanes, cutting it down to two and a half lanes. And and, and the host pointed out that, e- that during storms, it's even worse. And you remember, of course, how New York City was crippled by the snowstorm a few weeks ago. It's, we could debate how much that's related to de Blasio's new traffic pattern, but uh, it certainly is interesting. Now, some have pointed out that it wasn't 10th Avenue. The, it, this was an inaccurate argument because 10th Avenue still has a bunch of lanes. But that's not the point. Anyone who's driven in New York knows exactly what the host is talking about. And then the host says, I'm upset that you love these bikes, but you don't tell people because he's there boasting about his bike lanes. And she says, you don't tell people that they need to wear a helmet. We tell children to put a helmet on. People should be wearing a helmet. We could debate that a different time also. Should you actually enforce should law should the law force people to wear helmets or should that be their own personal decision and uh so very interesting so de blasio here he defended the bike lanes and again these bike lanes now listen to a quote from de blasio we brought the traffic fatality rate back down to the level of 1910 because these bikes slow down traffic the bike lanes slow down traffic and then the host responded but you messed the city up 
listen, she, she said, you go through the city with a police escort, but I come here every day, and I find because you can't make a turn anywhere, you can't go straight anywhere, and when there's a storm, people can't move anywhere. So they had this back and forth. Now, uh, Bill de Blasio is basically uh, proud of the fact that the bike lane slowed down traffic. He is trying to slow down traffic. Now, again, what kind of damage? I understand there are benefits of slowing down traffic. Maybe, as I said, maybe we should limit cars to being 25 or 30 miles an hour. You can't even go any faster than that. I guarantee you it, there'll be fewer fatalities. You know, where do you draw the line? There's a, there's a concept of productivity. There's a concept of quality of life. So de Blasio is only looking at this one narrow aspect and just ignoring everything else. And I don't think that's reasonable. And this host, by the way, what I love about this host is extremely liberal and she should really be defending de Blasio, the liberal, you know, but instead when it's in her backyard, you know, you have this issue in California now. There's major homeless crises in a lot of the affluent areas where celebrities live in Hollywood, in Venice, in a lot of areas in California near L.A., and these celebrities can't stand it, and they're trying to, to do something about it. They're trying to actually create laws that will ban these homeless people because these homeless people bring crime, drugs, violence, dirt, you know, all, all sorts of horrible conditions over there. And it's like these celebrities, they're so liberal and so pro-homeless until it's in their backyard, you know, not in my backyard. All right, a politician in Broward County, Annabelle Lima Taub, a city commissioner in Hallandale Beach, she has defended comments she made on Facebook attacking Congresswoman Tlaib. We told you about Congresswoman Tlaib, the first ever Palestinian woman elected to Congress, Palestinian-American. And she, of course, had a picture taken with a pro-Hamas activist. And she has a whole history of anti-Semitism and uh, anti-Israel views. So this city commissioner in, in Florida actually wrote very, very strong words on Facebook and refuses to back down. Quote, she called Tlaib a Hamas-loving anti-Semite who's a danger to the country. And quote, I would not put it past her to become a martyr and blow up Capitol Hill. Blow up Capitol Hill. That was the quote on Facebook by this city commissioner in Broward County. And it was demanded that she apologize for her remarks. She's actually saying that it's possible for this congresswoman to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, as a radical Islamist and to be a martyr and blow up the Capitol. And she refuses to back down and apologize. And good for her. Why should she apologize? All right, very interesting. Michael Mukasey at the William Barr confirmation hearings, former Attorney General Michael Mukasey, they got they, they got caught up in a side issue. I guess he was there to recommend William Barr as Attorney General, and they got caught up in the side conversation where he said that he doesn't necessarily support Trump's criticism of Jeff, Jeff Sessions, and he used it as a forum to kind of attack or, I guess, criticize. He wasn't attacking. He was very soft-spoken, but criticized President Trump. And he said, you know, I don't agree with Trump's criticism of Jeff Sessions because Jeff Sessions' recusal was warranted. So how could Trump say that his recusal from the Russia probe was unwarranted? And here we go again where these establishment people totally take what Trump says out of context and, you know, misquote him and then criticize him. Trump never said Sessions... Uh, recusal was unwarranted. Trump, Trump said that Sessions should have told him before he became attorney general, he should have told him that he was going to need to recuse himself because of his connections with the Russian ambassador. Sessions failed to mention that conveniently until, until after he was appointed as attorney general. And, and Trump also demanded that Sessions step down because the Mueller probe 
got blown so out of proportion. And here you have basically nobody in charge. We know Rosenstein's not not taking any charge and certainly not doing anything uh, to help thwart Mueller from just running totally wild and just going all sorts of directions just in an attempt to sabotage Trump. Uh, including hiring those people who knew about the Steele dossier, as you mentioned earlier. Anyway, so Trump is right on both counts. He's right that Sessions should have told him, and he's right that Sessions should have stepped down once he realized how big a deal it became that there's nobody in charge of Bob Mueller. So it, so, so, so Mukasey is misquoting President Trump and then disagreeing with him, but I don't see how you can disagree with President Trump. You know, why did Jeff Sessions not tell President Trump, hey, by the way, I'm going to have to recuse myself from the Russia probe. I, I think it's outrageous. I have a lot of respect for Jeff Sessions, but it's clear the reason he did it is because he was worried. Why not? Why not tell him? Full disclosure. He was clearly worried that President Trump would then rescind his appointment. Uh, to, to me, there's no other explanation. All right. And final, finally, call, a listener called, called me up and pointed out that a big reason that Pelosi and Schumer don't want this wall is because they need immigrants, illegals to cross the border and become Democrats. We've made this point in the past, but there's an added angle here, the listener said, which is that Democrat immoral policies actually lead to families not having children. And for various reasons, but but Democrats are essentially anti-children in a lot of ways and anti-family and anti-family value. So the traditional family is something that Democrat uh, Democrat policies are actually destroying the, the concept of the family unit and just you know getting married and having a bunch of children. Uh, Republicans actually are much more in favor of that. Religious reasons, values, a lot of reasons why. So the Democrats have to make up those numbers. Really interesting point. And the way they do it is by bringing illegals and is by their you know abolish ICE and radical open borders policies. And finally, somebody said to me, you know, I've been talking about Trump agreeing to DACA for five billion. And uh, somebody asked me a great point. You know, $5 billion is to start the wall. It'll build a chunk of the wall, but it's going to cost at least $25 billion to build the entire wall. If Trump gives them DACA for the first $5 billion, he loses all of his leverage. What would he do then? Good point. You know, you talk about leverage. It hasn't gotten him very far yet as far as funding for the wall. You know, but it's more, to me, a very practical matter at this point. Realistically, the main question is, what does Trump need to get elected here in 2020 to get reelected? I believe if he has no wall at all, I don't care what excuse he makes, he's going to be very, very damaged. And a lot of conservatives agree with this, the pundits, you know, because this was really his signature promise. Even if you don't care about a wall, but politically speaking, if he said build the wall, build the wall. And repeal and replace Obamacare, which hasn't really happened either for the most part. You know, so those could be two very, very big blows to his campaign in 2020. So then you say to yourself, well, what is the minimal that he needs to get the, to, to get reelected? He needs to have a chunk of wall. I believe that if he gets 50 miles, 100, 150 miles of wall, you know, and says, listen, we started. We, who would have ever thought we'd even get this far and reelect me in 2020 and then I'll build you the rest of the wall? I think he has a very good shot. But, you know, if he has no wall whatsoever. So to me, I'm not as worried about future leverage. It's like, just get the five billion, get something built, and then we'll we'll, we'll take it from there. All right. That's going to do it for today and for the week. Have a wonderful Shabbos, everybody. And we will see you next time.